Hello and welcome to episode 51 of the Nerd Culture Podcast. My name is David and with me are the NCP crew, Richo. I am very happy to be here today. Luke. Nerd Culture! And Crystal. Hello. That was very subdued. <laughs> I, I was trying to think of something witty. My brain had a phrasing moment. Brain freeze. Uh, and we also have a special guest with us, young Joel from the Black Panel. Hello, nerd culture podcasters or podcast listeners. <laughs> for the term cultural likes. Thank you very much. Yeah, we're, we're highbrow. Yeah. We're highbrow. Yeah, so I'm just on loan from uh, blackpanel.com.au today to chat That's... about some cool stuff with you guys. Yeah, it was awesome. very generous of them to lend you out to us. However, the amount that uh, Aaron at uh, Black Panel was charging for your services... I try and get a percentage of that yeah. if I were you. It was mm. prohibitive. Mm. Yeah. What you definitely want to cut. We get paid. <laughs> <laughs> what concerns me more than anything else is that you've still got the, the ball with the chain attached to it. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, he said we couldn't take that off. That was the, that was the, it to monitor you. That was the deposit. It's, <laughs> no, a, it's not so much the monitoring that concerns me. It's the timer and the explosive device attached to the ball. <laughs> it's yeah, the it, Xbox controller glued to his fingers. It's actually a concrete N64, you know, with explosives <laughs> in it. So. <laughs> Does that mean you can start playing and determine your own fate at the same time? Definitely. You get to reset your life at the end. <laughs> we hope. Respawn. <laughs> Respawn. Um, yeah, so we survived our uh, trip through the, the 50s, going back in time in our special episode 50. It was very exciting. And hopefully all of you listeners out there survived the experience of our brilliant acting during that episode. <laughs> what? Someone was acting? You mean Professor Cornelius wasn't real? <laughs> Good old Rex. Good old Rex. Yeah. Um, Look, yeah, he was we, a great man. A great man. We got some good feedback about that episode. It was excellent. And uh, it was a lot of fun. And uh, we may do something like that again in the future, but we, we may not go to so many years <laughs> next time. <laughs> when we land in the 60s. <laughs> yeah. you just, it's while we were recording, I was just looking around at the crew and just their eyes were glazing over. <laughs> I was like, we're going to have to skip some years. Can we go home now? It's going to take three hours. <laughs> But uh, that was good. Well, thank you for joining us, Joel. Absolute pleasure. Cool. Looking forward to it. Very exciting. So uh, for this episode, we have a popcorn junkie on Star Trek Into Darkness. Uh, It's been out in Australia for quite a few weeks now, so we are going to have spoilers. Be warned. And a roundtable on our favourite tabletop games. Our our, uh, favourite games, our favourite memories of those games. And when I say tabletop, it means basically anything that you can play on a table. So it could be anything from tiddlywinks to uh, talisman. Who knows? To flick the peas across the table. Yeah. (laughs) To just beating up your little brother at the the dinner table. It could be anything. Dinner time shenanigans. (laughs) (laughs) I like the word shenanigans. See, kids, this is what happens when you don't have have anything on the schoolyard to play with. Not just that. This is (laughs) pre-internet. This is what what people used to do before the internet existed. That's right, kids. There was no wireless once upon a time. (laughs) So we'll rename this tabletop games. We'll rename it to pre-internet. Pre-internet. I was actually handing out the washing yesterday, and in the yard next door were kids playing hide-and-seek. And I was I was very pleased. <laughs> I was very <laughs> pleased to hear that. So it's just going to then degenerate into one of those, I remember when I was young. <laughs> it, probably, it, it probably will, actually. Given <laughs> that we're old people, it's you inevitable. Are, you young whippersnappers. Um, and we also have a giveaway, thanks to the, well, I guess it's a competition, really, a giveaway slash competition, uh, thanks to the awesome guys at All Star Comics. Uh, they have been incredibly generous and have given us the first five volumes of the Dark Tower comic hardcovers. That's five hardcover comics for free. Brand new, mint condition. Wrapped in plastic still. Wrapped in plastic. Absolutely brilliant. So uh, for more details, uh, stick around to the end of the show. (laughs) You sound like Ed Sullivan. (laughs) (laughs) He did a bit. That's awesome. I'm cool with that. Uh, as long as I don't look like it, so <laughs> that, that would well, be bad. a little bit. No. What? <laughs> and you I look like see, a pile of poo. No, you've got a neck. <laughs> <laughs> Coming up first, we have Popcorn Junkie, Star Trek Into Darkness. Okay, Star Trek Into Darkness, the sequel to the Star Trek reboot, uh, sometimes called New Trek Online. Directed, once again, directed by J.J. Abrams, and it's his last 
ditch at the Star Trek universe before he goes over to ruin the Star Wars universe. Uh, writing credits are the three main writers, uh, Robert, uh, Roberto Orkey, Alex Kurtzman, and my good friend, Damon Lindelof. God damn, he sucks. Yeah, you've got a real vendetta against oh, Lindelof. He just sucks. <laughs> you know, my thing with Damon, right, it's, it's kind of weird, right? I actually think he's, I actually think he's a pretty cool dude, actually. I mean, in mm. interviews and stuff, he just, he just can't write. Go get another career. <laughs> my, my, my thing is, I can't actually identify, because I've never actually seen anything he's written by himself. Oh. Mm. Like, you know, he wrote Lost with a good other point. people. He yeah. wrote this with other people. He wrote Prometheus with other people. So I'm not quite sure exactly how good or bad a writer is, because yeah. I'm not quite sure what he actually contributes to each of the stories. So. I get a feeling he's more of an ideas man. It's like, wouldn't it be right. cool mm. if he did this, 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 and this? Yeah. But then he can't follow through. I think that's basically what it is. But anyway... Moving on. Okay, so the main cast. I'm not going to go through everybody because at Star Trek there's like 50 people in this movie. So uh, Chris Pine as Kirk, Zachary Quinto as Spock, uh, Zoe Zaldana as uh, Ahura, uh, Carl Urban once again kicking butt as Bones, uh, Simon Pegg as Scotty, John Cho as Sulu, uh, and Anton Yelchin as Chekhov. They're the main crew. And then we have Benedict Cumberbatch uh, as the main villain. which John Harrison. Yeah, John Harrison. Like, like I said at the start, there's going to be spoilers. Um, and it's on IMDb, so it's not that big of a deal. But yes, yeah, John Harrison and, slash Khan. Um, and, and it was the worst kept secret, I think, in film history. No, yeah, pretty bad. Everybody had it worked out. Like, as soon as he was cast, everybody had it worked out. It would have been cool to be Gary Mitchell. Mm. Would have made more yeah. sense. But anyway, moving on. Um, well, and well also, uh, Peter Weller as uh, Admiral Marcus and Alice Eve as his daughter Carol. Robocop. Yes, yeah. Robocop. Robocop. That's God would be awesome if he said, that "Dead or alive, you'll cover with me." Great. <laughs> um, so, like I said, there's a crap load of other people in this film. It just goes on. Ah, oh, I should mention Pike, I suppose. Uh, Bruce Greenwood, excellent job as Pike, as always. Um, so, the basic plot: Star Trek Into Darkness. It's uh, following on from the first film. The crew uh, are, start, are sort of starting to form their relationships and stuff like that. They save a planet from being annihilated. And they then spend the rest of the film trying to chase down uh, John Harrison, a.k.a. Khan, uh, because he has almost single-handedly wiped out the upper echelons of Starfleet. Um, so it's personal for Kirk, and it's uh, uh, a vendetta from, by Admiral Marcus. Um, we, go to, we, we go to Kronos, uh, we go to London, we go to San Francisco. Lots of buildings get destroyed, lots of people get killed. There's a awesome giant spaceship uh, that's dubbed the Killer Prize on the internet, which is uh, pretty awesome. And uh, you have your classic Kirk, Khan, Spock, triangle moment. That's uh, that's, that's <laughs> the basic plot. Um, there's really not much to it. It is essentially the Wrath of Khan remade um, in the new universe sort of fashion. Um, and yes, because it's J.J. Abrams, there's a lot of lens flare. The entire second half of the film... I don't think there's a single shot that doesn't have lens flare in it. Totally agree. The absolutely <laughs> worst, the worst part for that is well, when Carol mm. is telling her father how disappointed yeah. she is. Mm. There is a lens flare line directly yeah. across her face. It, it comes across her neck. It looks like she's getting her head cut off by a laser. Like, <laughs> it's it's an absolute disgrace. Mm. Anyway. anyway, but anyway, what can you do? Um, now, uh, we're going to do a slightly differently the, the review this way, because uh, I think, because basically I want to say my piece. <laughs> and uh, So I'm basically going to talk about uh, what I liked and didn't like uh, about the film and then let open it up to the rest of the crew. Um, now, I actually want to start off by saying that I actually really enjoyed this film while I was watching it. So while I was in the cinema and watching it, I was all for it. It was a rollicking action adventure. Um, I actually thought it was more enjoyable than the first one. Um, and despite its flaws, I didn't mind the first one. Uh, it, but it wasn't until later on. I mean, and don't get me wrong, I, I noticed the plot the plot problems during the film itself. But I was willing to let it go for the sake of the adventure because it was, you know, very exciting and uh, uh, a lot of fun. Then, of course, when I got out and, uh, you know, Chris and I were <laughs> on our way home is when the discussion began and uh, the, all the plot failures appeared. Um, so like I said at the start, spoiler heavy. So you have been warned. Okay, so I think it starts off really, really well. Um, the, the, the opening sequence is, uh, it's, it's funny, it's action-y, it's got actiony action. Um, it looks beautiful. I mean, Nerebi or whatever the planet's called just looks awesome. Um, Nibiru. Nibiru. Yeah, Nibiru, whatever. Looks great. Um, and the Enterprise under the... When the Enterprise comes up out of the ocean, it just looks beautiful. All right? But 
My questions are, uh, why is the Enterprise under the ocean to begin with? Right? There's absolutely no reason for it. How does it get there without anybody seeing it? I mean, it's massive. It would have caused massive displacement when it went in. They have a problem where Spock, where Spock is inside, this, uh, inside the volcano, um, where he's detonating a cold fusion bomb. So problem number one is cold fusion bombs do not create ice. Cold fusion just means that it's less hot than normal fusion. Nerd rage! Um, yeah, this is a massive nerd rage. Um, so, uh, and then the, he has, he's actually physically in there because A, uh, they can't beam him in, and B, because he needs to detonate the bomb. Now, that's ridiculous, right? The, the, all the Enterprise had to do was stay in space, and then they would have had line of sight. I mean, G is in crystal orbit. And if they cannot have a bomb that doesn't have a remote detonator, when you can have starships, I, that's a bit of a problem. <laughs> uh, transwarp. If you can teleport, essentially, from a hovering spaceship billions of miles away to another planet just by using this tiny little suitcase-sized device, you don't need to have warp drive, which are essentially nuclear reactors on a starship. You just don't need it. Every spaceship should have a transport, transport device. The Klingons look awesome. The sequence on Kronos um, itself looks awesome. I, I really, really love the Klingon redesign. Um, our, uh, the, the whole sequence on, on Kronos where uh, Khan is taking them all out looks mad. It's not very trekky, <laughs> to be honest. It's more of a video game sort of deal, come to life. But hey, it looks grass. Takes them out single-handedly, basically. Although I, I, I didn't like the scene where Kirk tries to beat Khan up and fails miserably. Khan basically just stands there looking at him. Um, because the, Kirk is basically the hero. So Kirk shouldn't... It makes, it makes Kirk look weak in some way. And he doesn't really get a chance to redeem himself later. Like If that scene, if that scene was then paired up later with... Kirk then finally managing to beat Khan, it would have been okay. Um, when they're disarming the torpedo, if Carol can disarm the torpedo from the panel on the right-hand side, why did she get Bones to stick his hand into the left-hand side? Like, there doesn't seem to be any point to it. Like, within seconds, she disarmed it on the right-hand side. Uh, the, like I said right at the start, the USS Vengeance, which is the killer prize, looks magnificent, and the bit where it's, it, it attacks the Enterprise while in warp looks awesome. The Spock Prime conversation, I, I just find that sequence kind of pointless. I mean, you don't, there's, he, he doesn't give any advice on how to beat him. Although it's always cool to see Leonard Nimoy, so that's fine. And the regenerative properties of Khan's blood are insanely over the, overpowered. And why do they need Khan alive at the end to get his blood to save Kirk when they've got 72 other Khan-like people on ice right there in front of them? Just drain, just drain the next guy. That brings me to the end. So in a, in a reimagining of what happens at the end of Wrath of Khan, um, the reactor is knocked out of commission and it takes somebody to put it back into commission so that the Enterprise, which is disabled, can escape. Um, in the original Wrath of Khan movie, it is Spock who makes the ultimate sacrifice. In the reimagined version, it is Kirk. Even though the scene is, is quite emotional, I think it's emotional because it actually cheats. It basically takes the love that you have for the original characters and the original scene and sort of transplants it onto these characters. Now, the reason Rathacan, the Khan, the reason I still get a tear in my eye when Rathacan, when I see that that scene in Rathacan, is because I've known Kirk and Spock almost all my life. They had fifteen odd years when Rathacan came out of being, you know, the greatest friends ever. And so, when one of them goes, you can really feel it. Um, it's it's an excellent scene, and you just don't have the same thing with the Kirk and Spock that we have now. Now, although I don't mind them as characters, I actually find them quite interesting because it's it's a whole new universe. You have a Kirk who's nowhere near as confident as original Kirk, um, and you have a Spock who is now actually quite emotional, like a bit more emotional than than the, the Spock that we know. He hasn't gone through Colonara and all that sort of stuff, and he's you know he's he's lost his family and his whole planet and all that sort of stuff. That's fine. I mean, it is it is still emotional the way it works, but. It's lazy. I think. I think it's, it, it's that end. That end could have been done so many other ways. Of all things during this film, other than the lens flare, obviously, that was the thing that most that most disappointed me. It didn't make me angry. I was just disappointed that they felt the need to do that. It's like surely they could have had something else. Um, and obviously, Kirk's not dead since they had a scene ten minutes earlier where they proved that the blood can resurrect the dead with a triple, which is pretty cool. Ridiculous. Standout performances. Noel Clark, who was Mickey um, in uh, the sort of the Rose era of Doctor Who, um, does an excellent job at the start, um, beyond anything he does in Doctor Who, where he basically acts just through his eyes, essentially. Mm -hmm. He only has like three words, 
Um, he's just brilliant stuff. And of course, Benedict Cumberbatch. Magnificent. Cool. All right, I'm going to open up to everybody else. Can I just say you're wrong? <laughs> <laughs> but I'll, I'll get to that That's later because I know. I, I know. I stole it. Well, you know, if it's good, then. <laughs> just to pick you up on the transwarp thing, they did establish that in the first film. So they've established that they've been working with it. So it's a, it's a technology in its infancy. Right. So maybe in the future it might take over from Starships, but at this point it looks like it's still experimental. And given that they get to, finally, after two movies, they actually get to the Star Trek mission at the end of this one, mm. the idea of going out and exploring things, you would still need a Starship to do it. Mm. And the, yeah, Starship with Transwarp instead of Warp. Yeah. The uh, the Spock Prime thing, uh, we don't need to hear the advice Spock's going to give because we know what it is. We've been there. But you shouldn't have. That's mm. the point. That's my. That's the point I'm trying yeah. to make. This is the, you're meant to come into these movies not knowing that the original, that without seeing the original movies, it's a whole new generation. Yeah, but so you shouldn't have to rely on part, past information. Part of the film is actually talking to the audience who are going to be massive fans anyway. My my biggest problem with the scene is actually um, that. We already see how, like, all we're told is that, you know, that Khan is really dangerous and deadly. But Benedict Cumberbatch has spent the entire film already showing us how dangerous and deadly he is. Hmm. I don't need original Spock to come in and tell me that the other Khan was deadly because I'm seeing firsthand just how dangerous this version of Khan is. He wipes out an entire battalion of uh, Klingons by himself. I think that's a good indicator. But uh, having established that original Spock is... In this universe, hmm. if I had to come out of that film not seeing Leonard Nimoy, <laughs> I would not have been happy. Okay, now while I agree with most of your plot point failures, especially the Enterprise being under the ocean, I don't really care. <laughs> I, I enjoyed the movie anyway, and there's been a lot of Star Trek movies in the past with bad plot points, and we could pick them all to death. I don't really care. I enjoyed the movie. I watched every single Star Trek episode ever, every single Star Trek movie ever, read a good portion of all the novels, and I can tell you this is a good Star Trek movie. And to get to your point about the um, the scene, that scene, <laughs> um, I have to disagree. Part of what made that scene emotional is because we can relate it back to the original movies, so we almost know exactly what's going to happen through the scene in our minds. Part of that's nostalgia. Also, um, you said that... Uh, the characters haven't known each other long enough for that sort of reaction to happen. What sort of time limit do you put on a strong bonding friendship? How long do you have to know someone before you can be upset over they're going to die? Um, well, if it's Richo, no time at all. <laughs> <laughs> so, but Just by pick this his point, pockets and move by, on. At this point no, in this universe, uh, things have diverged quite a bit. So the, the characters are actually completely different people. Spock's lost all his family, his whole planet... The original young Spock tried very hard to live up to his Vulcan heritage. So this Spock's learned more to embrace his human side as evidenced by his relationship with Uhura. Kirk's different right from the start because he has no father. He's grown up with a bad childhood. He's obviously, as you said, not as confident as the original Kirk. They've already both been through a lot together. They've saved each other's lives. They still have trouble understanding each other, but the, the bond seems to be growing there. Okay, so when they, we get the scene in question, <laughs> Spock realises that this man is willing to sacrifice his own life for his and others and has done so before Spock, who has lost his family and found in this man a friend and a brother. And Kirk also, who has been looking for a family, Spock realises that Khan's just ripped this man away from him. So when, when he does the uh, Khan, <laughs> it actually fits for me. I know, I, I know you were sitting, David was sitting in his seat going, oh my God, don't do it, don't do it. I did it. Um, no, I, I think that worked for me. You know, I wish you'd written the script. <laughs> because seriously, that analysis of their friendship is much better than what I actually saw on the screen. I think, well, see, uh, I think, I think what you wrote would have worked really well. I, uh, I, <laughs> I'm actually looking forward to reading the novelisation because I would hope that the novelisation at least explains why the Enterprise went under the ocean. <laughs> I'm agreeing with everything you're saying, and like, and like Richard said, your analysis of it makes perfect sense, and I, I agree with you. My problem with it, though, is that you could have had that same, like that same outcome, but with a different scenario. A completely you know I mean? different scenario. Completely different. There was no yeah, need to rehash the same scene. And just, like I said, it cheats because it, 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 it uses our knowledge of the originals. Plus it also cheats because it uses a scene that's already been done and it just 
flips it slightly. Yeah, but it's the, what we're saying is that a parallel universe has developed, so certain things in the old timeline obviously have to happen, and this has happened in the new timeline. Once again, if you were writing this script and all of that was in it, <laughs> I would be impressed. I agreed with, with a lot of what you said. I actually thought it was quite an exciting film and did enjoy it, but there were a couple of things that, that irritated me with as well. And, and I suppose the big thing was the, the Khan yelled sequence at the end and the, the, the death of Kirk. Um, for me, it, it, I suppose I got a lot of love for those old films, and it didn't make sense also when Kirk went into to the reactor and the guy was like, you, you won't even get halfway up. Not only did he get all the way up, but he got all the way down as well. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's and, Kirk. And, and that's after kicking the thing seven times. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, know, you know, if it was original Kirk, not only would he have done that, but he would have ripped his shirt off while he was doing that's it right. as well. And, and he looked like yeah. he had a bit of a sunburn, maybe. And look, yeah. I'm, no, I'm no nuclear reactor <laughs> disease expert or anything, but I was like, yeah, he, he's not taking it hard enough. <laughs> um, and, and the whole thing with Spock doing it in the original made sense, that he was the only guy that could could withstand the radiation. Mm. And, of course, transferring his conscience to, to, to Bones and, and then, it, you know, set off the whole second movie and everything. So he had also almost felt a, little, felt a little bit pointless unless they do something with, I don't know, super-powered Kirk in the next movie, which will probably piss off heaps of people. Because <laughs> um, you know if you get exposed to radiation, you become a superhero. Cumberbatch did an awesome job. I was actually surprised to find out he was kind. I didn't tweak until... They're like, he was kind of like, what? <laughs> <laughs> he looks nothing like Ricardo Montal. <laughs> if it helps, if it helps um, Benicio Del Toro was originally approached to, yeah, to yeah. play Khan. Which... And then, then we miss out on classic lines like, you know, from hell's heart I stab at the end. He tasks me. Yeah. But I mean, the, the, the new young cast, I, I, do, I do enjoy them quite a lot. Um, Carl Urban, just, he's really intense, isn't he? He's, he's, a pretty he's awesome. Actor. Yes. Yeah, mm. and yeah, on the whole, pretty exciting. Uh, so, similar to you, there's a number of issues with it, but still worthwhile. Maybe if it wasn't quite Star Trek, it would be a good space adventure film. But yeah. I still got a, too much love for the old the old film. There, there are a lot of things like, oh, why they do it this way? Well, come yeah, on. <laughs> yeah, and that's sort of a lot of what my problem with with yeah. uh, Reboot General. But you know, you know, a film's in trouble when a triple is the thing that saves the day in the end. <laughs> <laughs> um, Okay, we talked a lot about um, the Kirk Khan, uh, the Kirk Spock uh, moment, and yeah, I didn't like that moment myself for a lot of the reasons that were stated. Um, I do take Crystal's points on board, and they are very good points. My problem with that is that I was beginning to like Zach Quinto as Spock, but I actually don't like Chris Pine as Kirk. Um, I actually have a bit, bit of a problem with, and it doesn't help in this film that Kirk himself doesn't do very much. Mm. A lot of it is it's either Khan. Or it's Spock himself. Spock, you know, Spock is the one who beats Khan in the in, when the when the two ships are facing off, yeah. and then you know they have that physical confrontation at the end. And Kirk himself is actually not allowed um, a moment to shine, which is what um, Dave who was getting yeah. back to um, earlier on in his in his argument. And that's a big storytelling problem. You know, mm. your main character is actually not allowed to be the main yeah. character. In the original, it, Kirk kind of outfoxed Khan. Kind of outthought him in a way. Mm, yeah. Whereas here, it's more of a physical confrontation yeah, as yeah, well. Yeah, and that's uh, and that'll. But the one who outfoxes him is also the one who gets the big physical confrontation with him anyway. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's not Kirk, and that, I think that's a problem. But taking it back from to a general filmmaking perspective, J.J. Uh, Abrams is not really much of a director. He's he, he's got that film school mentality of moving the camera around to do the Spielberg thing of keep the camera moving, the audience will be interested. But mm. there's no actual. No actual insight or basic storytelling in the shots that he actually chooses. Yeah, there's, there's no actual purpose to yeah. the moving of the camera. Whereas if you watch a Spielberg film, every camera movement mm. is achieving something. I don't want the movements so much as the the lens flare to get back at. Them. <laughs> <laughs> I think we could all agree. I can live that with the, the camera movement stuff if you would I, just remove the lens. Flare. I've got a problem with camera. Mo I quite like camera movement done really well, I I, and properly. I really respond to really good photography. Um, and uh, well, really well chosen shots that tell the story and I don't think Abrams has that ability because I've seen a couple of other things that he's done and I've always just sort of been well I'm that distant I'm not involved in this mm. um, you're trying to show me how good a stylist you are but you're not showing me how good a storyteller you are and it's always as if you're watching through a camera mm. you're never actually on I mean the, the my main problem with this lens flare stuff right mm. is yes it gets in people's faces like Paul Carroll mm. and all that sort of stuff but it actually takes you out of the situation mm. because, mm. yes, I know I'm not on the Enterprise bridge, mm. yeah. but if I didn't have lens flare and crap all over the place, mm. I would know that it's not a camera, yeah. and so mm. therefore I can be involved somehow. Mm. Yeah. yeah, it removes you from the story. Uh, getting back to um, 
uh, scripting. Um, uh, Lindelof is actually, I think Lindelof's strength is his world building hmm. more than, and yes, he's an ideas man. The big problem is that most of the writing would have been done by um, Kurtzman and um, Orky. And Orky. Um, and I don't think they're very good script writers at they're all. They're terrible, mm. and they're not very good at what, uh, and not very good at taking the characters through a journey. Benedict Cumberbatch was magnificent. He stole the show in the very few scenes that he had. Mm. Um, but Khan himself doesn't have much of a plan. <laughs> steal a ship, steal a ship, and steal my people back. Yeah, there was a point there where I thought he was actually trying to promote war between uh, the Federation mm, and the Klingons, Klingons. Mm. and I thought, wow, what a magnificent, huge kind of Khan plan to have. Mm. But then it turned out that that wasn't actually really what he was trying to do. And, I was and given that they're trying to set up a Klingon war for the third film, um, this could have actually been a good way to lead into that. Yeah, I love how, I love how it's like a year later. So you got the end, right? Mm. They've gone in. I mean, sure enough, yeah, it was a black ops mission, mm. but still. So they've gone into the Klingon homeworld, yeah. done all this business, mm. And yet, it's a year later, and not even a single whisper of, oh, and by the way, the Klingons are coming. Mm -hmm. Oh, and while we're at Kronos, what was that exploded mean? Was that meant to be Praxis? Yeah, that's I a good point, so. yeah. Where you were going is, then, it's actually, so then that doesn't make any early. sense, because that's just, like, yeah. Mm. But then again, then again, <laughs> the Khan thing's too early, too. So, I mean, it is a different timeline. Mm. Here. Oh, that's yeah. actually one of the few things about the story that I did actually really like, is they, they put in a, a, a line saying that it's actually Weller who finds Khan, the Botany Bay, yeah. and activates Khan. Yeah. Um, so that's, I mean, that really... Uh, the one thing I do really like about this is that they've kept that whole, well, ever since Nero, everything before Nero is still what we know and love, yeah. and everything uh, since Nero is now different. Mm. And that, mean, that means that finding that well are finding Botany Bay makes perfect sense. Mm. Yeah. And that's the thing, the changing of the reality I've got no problem with. Mm. The big problem I have with Star Trek and Into Darkness is... I just feel like I'm going back. I'm not feeling like I'm getting that forward progression. Yes, they're trying to bring in a new audience, um, but my thing is, well, just create something new. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, like create, don't do, don't do Star Trek again. Let it, let yeah. it lie for a while. Let people miss it and want it back. Yeah. And then try to reinvent it. Don't try and reinvent it once Enterprise has failed. Yeah. Do something new. I'm, I'm, I'm with you in, like, in a Spider-Man sense, stop rebooting that, mm. for God's sake. But I don't <laughs> mind the going back and rebooting the universe mm. because, I mean, we've had many series since the original series mm. with a whole new cast of characters, but everybody still loves Kirk, Spock, Uhura. Mm. And these new, these new actors are really good. The only problem I have with the new actors is Chris Pine's lips. <laughs> and, and, and sorry, Chris, I know it's not your fault, but his lips are just too full for Kirk. <laughs> it's too pretty. And that, 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 that's part of my I problem just, with Chris yeah. Pine. So just, just to go on to that point, there, he doesn't quite have the rugged, dashing quality. He's, he is, I think, he's a bit too much of a. Oh, a he's brute. got the character down pat. I mean, that thing in the first movie where he couldn't talk properly because Bones had sprayed him with something, and he's mm. blah, 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 blah. That was hilarious. That was pure <laughs> Kirk. But the lips, sorry. All right, this one, this one's one of my. This is going to be a bit of a nerd rage, kind of like what Dave did earlier. But it's just one of these very minor points that gets on my nerves. We it's should... the 20, what, 24th century? 23rd century? century. Sorry, it's the 23rd century, and Kirk is cool because he listens to Beastie Boys. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be like me being cool and hip now because I listen to Mozart. Or I mean, you, it's not... Or you being hip and cool he's... because you've gone out and bought a pair of it's retro not, Converse? It's not <laughs> just because of the Beastie Boys, it's because he's with twin feline nude yeah, but... ladies. But, 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 <laughs> Twins day! But using, using 20th century music... To show that a character is cool three centuries from now, <laughs> it's it's one of those stupid things that a lot of science fiction films do, and it always gets on my nerves. So you didn't like the scene in the first film, where he's where, where he's, he's driving, driving along to the Beastie Boys in his car? No, because <laughs> at least he's loyal. But there's he's nothing... a loyal fan. He's a boy. He's a connoisseur but like of I said, ancient rock music. Okay, do you think uh, do you think young feline twins today? All right, let's say leave out the feline bit. Do you think hot young <laughs> twins today? Would think that I was cool if I was listening to music from 300 years ago. No, I think they would, they would think you were cool if you looked like Chris Pine. <laughs> but I do look like Chris Pine. <laughs> no, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just, final point I want to make, because I'm actually agreeing with a lot of what was said, um, especially by Dave and, and, and by Luke. But, um, I'll reiterate, you're just wrong. Yeah. That's <laughs> um, Sorry, okay, Luke. I just want to talk about the Klingons. Yeah. You're reintroducing, basically, the number one villains... In the Star Trek universe. Like, the Klingons are awesome. I've always loved them. So what do you do? You give them boring, generic-looking armour. And you give them boring, generic-looking faces. Oh, what, what like about the piercings? Nothing. The piercings were cool. Yeah, but piercing I mean, on his ridges, Dave. 
Yeah, but it's 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 a generic look that I could see in a dozen races. But in, how many how many in... more changes can you? I mean, if you, if they had given us the original series Klingons, it would have been an uproar. You needed to but... see the Klingons that had the ridges. Yeah, but also you needed to make them really distinct and interesting looking. I mean, this is this is a warrior race. Yeah, and but the, the how though? That's what that's what I'm interested well, in. Okay, well, okay. I mean, they look, look at... they look basically the same as the as the Klingons we know. No, they don't. If you look at the Klingons in, um, you know, from the movies through Next Gen and so on, mm. you know, they've got these big, wild heads of hair. They've got <laughs> crazy Galron eyes. Galron! <laughs> they've got these big, powerful voices. I mean, yeah. they, they look yeah, okay. like warriors. You know, they, they're, they're loaded with weapons and armor and, mm. you know, and they're all carrying, um, you know, they'll all have... Um, like decorations to Ceremonial represent, stuff. yeah, to yeah. represent their their family, their clans, their status. You know, all of that makes them really distinct and interesting as, as a race. And here we get them; they're wearing armor that looks like it came out of the gorillas from the original Planet of the Apes. Totally right. You know, um, <laughs> helmets for sure. They're, they're they're just basically bald guys with ridges on their heads, and they don't really do much. They show up and they get wiped out by by Khan. Like that's about it. And my, my final point is, at around the point where that scene, actually, where Khan comes up and wipes out the, the Klingons, that was the point where I went, you know, I really do not care in any way about any of the Star Trek people now. I want the entire film just to be about Khan, because he's the only one that's really making the film interesting for me. Yeah, cool. All good points. Final cool. thoughts. Mine and ratings. ratings. <laughs> um, I give this half a look. For better to come about. Oh, Ooh. Come wow. On. Didn't Benedict at least deserve more than half a Luke? He's the only reason I'm giving it a half in the first yeah. place. World's harshest critic right, right there. there. I was brought to tears watching Slammed this. Slammed it. All right, cool. My, my guest score would probably then be, be three. I, I enjoyed it. It wasn't brilliant, but yeah, I, I'd give it three, three Lukes. Like David said earlier, I, I would describe this film as entertaining garbage. <laughs> I was entertained <laughs> watching it, but it's not very good. I'll give it uh, two, and mainly... Two looks mainly for Benedict Cumberbatch as well. I enjoyed every second of this movie. There were parts in it that annoyed me, like uh, but uh, like David, not until later actually. But yeah, why why was the Enterprise under the ocean? That makes no sense. <laughs> <laughs> but I I, I I loved it. The characters are great, and it's 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 very Star Trek. I give it. I want to say five, just to annoy everyone. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll, I'll give it four and a half looks. Cool. I went on, as as Richard said, I went on a bit of a nerd rage at the start, and um, I did say, I have said a couple of episodes back that I'm, I'm going to review films based on how much I enjoyed them, and uh, not whether they were well made or not, but I've basically got to turn that on its ear for this film, because I really can't, because I, I mean, while I was watching it, I really, really enjoyed it, but it's just, it's got so many flaws that it just, I'm I'm tired of this type of film being made, I'm tired of... Like Richo said, just entertaining garbage. I mean, yeah, you've got your blockbusters and they're enjoyable while you watch them, but they're just, they're awful. And they're, they're, I'm afraid that they're going to teach up-and-coming filmmakers. You know, I'm, they're surely in the audience, I mean, our audience, our cinema is packed, and surely someone in there is an up-and-coming filmmaker and they're going to think, oh, well, this is how films are made and this is how it's done. And we're just going to get this rubbish over and over and over again and it's just until the end of my life. And uh, that is a horrible thing to contemplate. <laughs> It was kind of hard to give this film a rating. So you, I, you should give it two ratings. Rating for while you were watching the film and, <laughs> and rating for post having thought about it watching the film. Nah, that's, that's cheating. That's not fair. And, 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 and a third rating based on the fact that this man is now doing Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> I, do, and I, do, I, just do, I do want to point out one thing. It's like I should have done it at the, uh, at the start. Um, I've got no problem with plot points that aren't explained. Right? So it's if it doesn't need an explanation. So the prime example for me would probably be why does Carol have a English accent when her father clearly does not, right? <laughs> now, that doesn't bother me. I mean, how, I mean, it's not explained in the film. She could have spent, you know, every summer since she was a child in England and worked up an uh, accent. Or she just thinks it sounds cool and she's a bit pretentious. Who knows, right? <laughs> she's a bit Joel Thomas. Uh, it just, it just doesn't Josh matter, Thomas. right? But the things that, I mean, I would like to think that the things that I raged about earlier are important because it actually contradicts things that are said in the film itself. So if you've mm. established rules and you contradict them yourself, it just messes with my head. Yeah, and, it's, yeah. it's, all about, um, it's all about internal logic. Yeah. You know, it, it, your, internal film logic. Be, your film can be as ridiculous as possible, but if you establish certain rules within your film, 
and then you completely break those rules, that's where the problem goes. Um, not written by a Vulcan, is what you're telling me. Basically. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's like I said, it's hard to get a rating, but I'm going to have to, I'll go, I'll go middle ground and go 2.5 looks. I'll go half. And yeah, mainly because Benedict. All right, so I think we've uh, I think we've ground Star Trek Into Darkness into the into the dirt uh, where it I, belongs. I have to say though, that's probably the m- widest. Uh, I range know, point of, five uh, to four point five. Yeah, it's a, it's a... <laughs> with a middle ground between the rest of us. <laughs> middle ground. It is interesting. So uh, I hope you enjoyed it. Moving on. Coming up next, a roundtable on our favourite tabletop games. Tabletop games, we all love them. They while away the uh, the rainy days, and like I said, this is pre uh, pre internet. Um, but they've made a massive comeback. Tabletop games, um, they they've got a resurgence of popularity, especially these uh, newfangled deck builder games. Um, they're at, uh, they're all the rage. Uh, ben, you still have the old classics. I mean, people you know people still play Scrabble and uh, stuff like that, uh, even though words were friends. There's actually a board game version of Words with Friends, which is just makes me laugh. Um, but uh, <laughs> the actual physical version of it. Come on, people. Um, but, uh, yeah, so uh, we're all fans. Uh, so since Joel is our special guest, we're going to start with him. Yes, I mean, I've probably played a lot more board games in my younger years. So since the internet, haven't really, really touched them. So I'll probably rattle off a couple that I used to, you know, play. So things like Tar Rummy and Cluedo and, and Risk. Sorry, I don't know if you guys have played Sorry. Yeah, yeah. yeah I played Sorry. Yeah. yeah. Uh, maybe I used to play that with my sister. Uh, probably play things like maybe Risk a little bit more. Um, Careers. Don't you remember Careers? No. All right, so it's basically a little game. You, you, you set up your goals as to, you know, you want this much happiness, this much money, and you go around the board, you know, collecting different things. Like an early game so, of life? Yeah, that sort of thing. Now, a lot of these games when I played with yeah, was when I was younger, it was in South Africa, so I don't know if they had different editions of things. Oh, okay. Um, but yeah, we had the careers and did play a while. Monopoly is one of the big ones. Now, we had uh, the original uh, UK version of it in the old oh, box cool. with the wooden pieces. And yeah, that was awesome. Old yeah. school. So that, that was pretty cool. And mm. you know, I often used to play that with my, my, my gran. You know, we'd, we'd go to her house on, on you know, weekends and stuff and you know, pull out board games. Um, yeah, grandma's always had... Just like piles and piles yeah. of board games that just—I don't even know how they got them, but they just all be like stacked up in the in the closet. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Is that, and you it, just and I, you just go into the closet. You just have you been to my grand's house? <laughs> no, because my grand's house was exactly the same. It was just <laughs> one of the favorites we used to play was, and I, I had to look these up online because a lot of them I couldn't remember the the, the names of them. Um, actually, we've got them. I went downstairs into our. Uh, run through my folks' place, and you know we've got some of these. They've got a dust on them now. <laughs> um, Go international travel game. I don't know if you've ever played that. Yes, that that was real awesome. So you know, you, there's a map of the world in the middle, and you know, around the edges, you've got things like um, souvenir shops and ticket agencies and, and currency conversion. It had all the different currencies, so including off your rubles and lira and dollars and. Never heard of it. Kind of Sounds stuff. awesome. Yeah, it's great. So basically, that the point is, you got to go and collect a certain number of souvenirs. That game is both entertaining and educational. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Brilliant. And other educational games. But it was another one. This one I actually couldn't find on the the wiki board game wiki. I had to go and dig around. But called Fortune. Okay. I um, remember yeah. Fortune. I, remember, yeah. I never played it, but I remember it was about oil spill, oil tycoon. Uh, wasn't it? I don't think so. This one, you, you had different industries, so you you, you choose a company. Hmm. So I mean, you your one like, the oil tycoon was black gold, was it? Maybe that could be the one. So you could be like you know Ford Motor Company yeah. or whatever, and then yeah. you, you buy uh, yeah buying plants, fuel, and computers to produce goods, and <laughs> you, you you kind of go around the board and you, you earn money and. Basically, trying to build up your fortune by. You know, I don't know if you noticed, but there's a bit of a theme to the, all the games that you love. They're all the they're all the entrepreneur <laughs> pushing down the little yeah. man to make to get big. Monopoly, yeah. entrepreneur. And those are the ones that I played with my family. Now, the, the, the other kinds of games I played with this friend, his name was Graham Knopf. Lived around the corner from me. Shout out to Graham. Hi, Graham. Shout out. And this guy, he would beat me at every strategy game we ever played, from chess to so Risk used to play Risk with him. Um, and another game called Swords and Wizardry. Now, I don't know if you've heard of Swords and... There are games called Swords and Wizardry, but this one was actually Stratego, which I never worked out until many, many <laughs> years later. Now, I think Stratego, there's some rules on, on how 
which pieces can defeat which pieces. Yeah. In the, the Swords and Wizardry, there was a, uh, a table. So then you'd look up the attacking piece versus the defending piece to figure out whether you won or not. So you'd go and go, oh, I'm thinking, he's got his dragon there, so I'm going to try and take it out with my knight. And you'd turn the pieces around and be like, oh, no, I lost my knight. That sounds like a lot of fun, actually. It was great fun. And, and I mean, there was another, uh, I think it was a wizard character that, that was different from Stratego that could move a lot and you know, had these special abilities. Those so, bloody wizards. Yeah. That, that <laughs> they get around. a lot of fun. Now, another game that this guy used to, to, to beat me at all the time, I can't remember the name of this game. And I don't know, see if anyone can uh, figure it out. Is this a competition one? Yeah. yeah. All right, so um, I'm just going to jump in there. So yep. as you as you know, I mentioned the competition at the start. Um, so to tie it into the episode, uh, so this board game that uh, Joel's about to describe, we don't know the name of it. Nobody here knows the name. And if they do, they're not going to say anything. So if you can tell us, We'll give you the, the ways to contact us uh, later on the episode. If you, if you could contact us and tell us the name of this game, you've won yourself the, uh, the, the five Dark Tower comics. So the first person that contacts me uh, with the name of this game. Go for it, John. Right. So the first thing about this game, I remember my, my dad had it, and it, it's in like a, a box set. It looks like a book. And you pull out, you've got this, uh, the, the actual board, which is made out of plastic, folds out and, and, and lays together. Uh, there's little holes in it for, for the pieces, which are like little peg holes. And you get uh, a little castle that you can you can position on your board. You get a whole lot of pieces like archers and knights, um, pikemen, I think. Um, and, and it comes with a blind. So you set up the blind so you can't see um, your opponent's side of the board. And you set up all your little pieces, uh, take the blind away, and then you, know, you play. And, and each of the pieces has different abilities. They might move a certain amount. Uh, the archers can attack you know, over a distance. Um, I can't remember if there were other rules, but yeah, it's a strategic game. The actual board itself has um, different terrain, so there's like mountains and things which you can't pass over, or maybe only certain units can pass over. There's water that you know maybe slows down units, that kind of stuff. Was it like three D terrain, or just just no, a it's picture just to sort of painted 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 this guy beat me every time. What was the ultimate outcome? You had to take their castle. So it was a castle. So and the castle was like a little two two square uh, uh, structure. Um, it had a, a, an entrance that you needed to move onto first. And I remember the strategy that, that this, my friend Graham came up with once that, that just annoyed the hell out of me. He, he stuck his archer in the castle, which yeah. meant it could kill anything because it could attack from distance, right? Yeah. So he wiped out my entire side to try and get into the castle. <laughs> How was it shooting through the walls? Well, because he because you had to go on that first that first outdoor. Oh, so you stood in the doorway. Yeah, it's like standing in the and doorway. Were, and everyone, yeah. you know, dead, dead. Oh, well, there you go. So, so, if you know what it is, let me know because it's do my head in. I can't find the game. <laughs> so it's a, so it's a two pronged competition. We want to help Joel out to remember remember this game, and uh, you can win yourself some swag. Yeah, and I suppose the other part of it. So that's the first half. All the all the board games. Um, the other bit I want to talk about is uh, my introduction to Dungeons and Dragons. Awesome. Now, I remember my dad scored a trip to the United States, and when he got back, he brought a present. I think it was a present for my aunt. You know, a box, red box, um, with this you know, Dungeon Dragons. Never heard of it before. Um, opened it up, and it had these two books, which I actually have with me today. Got the the Dungeons and Dragons Players Manual. It's the the basic, I think it was, game. You know, all red. It's got this wonderful. You know, drawn picture of, of, a, of a red dragon kneeling on a, a pit of gold and a warrior attacking him with a glowing sword. And a bit kind of, of uh, Elmore yeah, art, I yeah, think. Yeah, classic, um, yeah. And it, it's just a classic image. And just the boys are drawing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is, that though, it, we are actually looking at the artwork itself. It is first edition Dungeons and Dragons yeah. from TSR games. So. And, and, and no, I'm actually drawing over the fact that it's Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> I'll admit it. So the original, not not the advanced one, and it's you know got read this book first, and you know, and it and it goes through really kind of gently explaining what this is all about. So it takes you through, you know, imagine this, you know, going into a dungeon, doing the stuff. Now, you know, we're gonna. We're going to check to see whether we were able to achieve something. We're going to roll the dice to see that. And sort of, you know, takes you through that adventure. So I'd read through this book and just loved it. Didn't have anyone to play with. So uh, my sister Linda had to endure a couple of hours before, you know, she had enough of this stuff. <laughs> um, I remember sitting in the kitchen. Shout out to Linda. Yeah, yeah. Your elf's got to do this. Or, <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, and then um, met, met up with some friends, or well, actually some friends who I've, you know, been friends with already. Um, and started playing, you know, just on Saturdays we would go around to each other's house. And because 
I've got a question for you guys. What What is the most important ingredient to a role-playing game session? Creation. Yeah, creativity. Food. Food, <laughs> thank you very the much. Snacks. Absolutely. With... Um, with uh, my role-playing experience, yeah. um, it was, seriously, it was Tiny Teddies. You could, <laughs> you could barter in-game with Tiny Teddies because we became, we were addicted to those things. Yeah. I don't That's know, awesome. just, just going around to, you know, you know, friends' place, we'd have it at a different person's place, uh, you know, house each weekend. And, you know, we'd all have the books and we had to, you know, spend time working on the dungeons. But then, you know, snack time comes and mums would bring out snacks, you know, be like, just something went to a lot of effort. <laughs> yeah, little sandwiches and stuff. Uh, That's pretty cool. Yeah. We never we had to, yeah, get, we our did, we had to get our own snacks. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, really enjoyed it. I mean, Hearts of It wasn't really the Dungeon and Dragon mechanics, but just arguing over stuff, you know. Mm. That's awesome. Um, and, 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 and then eventually progressed to the, the advanced, and I got the advanced, the original advanced book. Second edition well. advanced. Second oh, edition. drooling again. That's yeah. awesome. <laughs> and, you know, trying to get used to some of the, the, the change in the rules, the, the more stringent rules set there was kind of interesting. And I remember spending ages, you know, trying to design a character that I thought was cool. And I, a lot of fun. And of, of course, it's just still these sort of stories you remember about these things. Like we had this guy at school, it was a minister's son. Um, one day came and he, I don't know how he heard we were playing. He's like, you know, this is the game of the devil. It was around that time. You're going to hell. He was going to try and convert us. So, oh, fantastic. Yeah, that, that, that is brilliant stuff. Yeah. I started actually with Warhammer as opposed to Dungeons and Dragons. It wasn't actually until a couple of years later that I played my first Dungeons and Dragons. But um, my first game was Warhammer, followed by um, Super Squadron, yep. which was a superhero game actually uh, uh, created by... Um, Joe Italiano. Yeah, from um, Alternate Worlds in, in Melbourne. Um, what I found, I mean, I, I, I've loved it. I've been role-playing for 25 years or more now and um but what uh i remember most about pretty much every single game i've been involved in is people trying to kill one another like, <laughs> and, and people and i must admit i've been just as bad as anybody i played an entire game yeah. where um the the end point of the game was me um selling the souls of my teammates to a yeah. demon so that he would give me power over the earth and then helping him conquer olympus i mean you know it was did, just did you have dice arguments yeah, you throw the dice, it's gone halfway across the room, and you're like, ah, oh, that was an 18. No, 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 it was a 7. And we used to have a just... guy who would roll his dice in a box so you could never <laughs> see what he rolled. It's amazing how many critical hits he rolled inside that box. That was hilarious. The first time I saw him do that, I was like, surely this isn't allowed. No. And nobody said anything, and I was like, this is weird. But, um, I was new to the group, I didn't want to embarrass myself. I must admit, I, I actually, I've been a game master. Um, actually, now, I've been a game master more than I've been a player. Mm. Like, I've, I've run games that have lasted four years in... Involving at least two people in this room right now. <laughs> um, I would always build, um, like you, I would I would mm. build these vast worlds and just mm. populate them with all kinds of characters. But I'd I'd always do like these big conspiracy theories as well, regardless of what genre the game was. Mm -hmm. um, to the point now that anybody playing one of my games just automatically assumes now that there's some vast conspiracy going on, <laughs> even when there isn't. Great Scott. What Sam Hill? <laughs> but what I love about that. The players often come up with what's going on. Mm. And if I like it, then I'm like, yeah, sure, why not? <laughs> but I don't tell them that, that, that it's their idea. Yeah. It's actually, no, 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 I had that plan all along, you know. So, and that's um, one of the awesome things, isn't yeah. it? Just the amount of flexibility. You can yeah. Have. And I, yeah, allow, when the players actually go off on tangents that um, you just wouldn't expect. Yeah, like but it's really, Yeah, exactly <laughs> right. But it's exciting. It's what makes those kind of games exciting is that the players can actually effectively almost take over the game um, in a good way, hmm. you know, and that they, they actually dictate the way that the, the, the role-playing game can go. And that's, I think, one of the best things about those sort of games. Okay, there's just quickly, just talking a few games. Um, you mentioned Cluedo earlier. Mm. I love Cluedo. As a big mystery fan, I always thought Cluedo was awesome. But um, there was a game created by a group called Cheap Ass Games called, <laughs> called Kill Doctor Lucky, cool. and it was like it was like the anti Cluedo. You were all invited to this mansion by Doctor Lucky, who owned the mansion, who was blackmailing you all, and you had to try and kill him. Like you had to try and pop him <laughs> off. You had to do it in a way that meant that nobody else could know that you were the one killing him off and everybody wanted to bump him off and he'd just move around from room to room and you yeah. had to chase after him but you had to kill him whilst in a room that nobody else was occupying and you had to, you'd had you find these bizarre weapons that you could use to bump him off so um cool. but yeah so that was a pretty awesome game um i want to embarrass actually Aaron from um black panel here 
a game I used to love playing, uh, he and I used to play a lot when we were younger, called Test Match, which was a cricket game. Yeah. And we would play, like, two whole innings. Like, every year, ten, ten, ten batsmen, you know, like, you know, we'd do the whole hog. And every single time we played, I would bowl Aaron out for about 30 runs. Then I would bat, and I'd make about... 250, 300, <laughs> and lose maybe, lose maybe two or three wickets, then I bowl him out again for about another 30. Um, it's the closest these guys ever got to actual physical sport. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, poor Aaron, but he deserved it. <laughs> and you know what? He was the one that kept wanting to play, even though he'd always get demolished. That's because he was obsessed. You know, he had to beat him one time, <laughs> one time, it'll be okay. Um, but um, I do want to, uh, yeah, so shout out to Aaron. But um, honestly, that my absolute all-time favourite board game is Talisman. Um, it's a fantasy game. It comes with a whole bunch of expansions and extensions that you add on, so that when you try to play, you need about eighteen tables. You know, you need seriously, you need like a twenty-foot-long table to fit all the boards on. But um, I just love it. It's it's halfway between a board game and a role-playing game. I try to get people to play it a lot, but you need about six hours in which to play it. So <laughs> much like a role-playing session, yeah. really. So that's my problem with board games, that they take so long. Yeah, so um, long. When I was little, we didn't have many board games because we didn't have a lot of money in our family. So board games, if we, if we had the standard snakes and ladders, that sort of thing, what you can get the, the cheaper versions of. And then at my friend's house, we'd you know, play Guess yeah. Who and Mousetrap and um, those sorts of games, which were fun for the hour or two we played them, but then we'd get bored of them and go and do something else, maybe even outdoors. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Mousetrap was funny because it took, took you longer to set the, set the game, game up than it did to yeah. actually play. It was an achievement to set the game up. Yeah. Yeah, those were that's before uh, computer games. You get mousetrap achievements. <laughs> Gold. I do enjoy playing. David bought a Monopoly card game thing, which is similar to Monopoly, but there's no actual board. That's a lot of fun to play. Um, and we also play actual Scrabble. We have an anecdote about actual Scrabble. We got into words with friends, and David said, "Oh, we should play like actual board game Scrabble." So we went out and bought the board game. We invited my sister around. We played it. And then it's been, it was sitting on the table for a couple of weeks. I thought, oh, I should find a place to put that. So I went in the hallway to the bookshelf to put it away, lifted up the little doily that was on top of the bookshelf and went, there's a game of Scrabble. <laughs> exactly the same as the one we just bought. And I went, <laughs> called out to David and said, look at this, he's what? But you know, oh, <laughs> smack <laughs> somebody. Have you, you ever played that three-dimensional Scrabble? Yeah. Where you can put the letters on top Upwards. of the letters? Mm. Oh, I have 3D chess. Oh, 3D chess? Yes. Yeah, it actually you do, you does do, have rules. You do have a lovely 3D chess. And it does chess have set. rules and it does apparently it work. It does. Have, that's, I have not learnt the rules. It's but bloody hard. <laughs> it's not quite as hard as Sheldon's Sheldon's version of chess. <laughs> that's <laughs> A friend of mine spent my entire housewarming party trying to work out how to set the board up. And I had it set that way for ages until a, a, a certain cat knocked it over. <laughs> <laughs> bloody cat. Um, just uh, going back to Talisman, yeah, I, I mean, I appreciate Talisman for what it is. I mean, it's obviously very well done and, you know, it's famous worldwide and all that sort of stuff. But I personally can't stand the game because, um, A, it takes too long. Uh, and, B, in my second ever game, um, I got copped with... The witch, or whatever it is. Oh, you got turned into a terror. <laughs> yeah. I remember that. Who basically, so you basically lose everything that you've had. And I was just, I was stocked, man. I was stocked. <laughs> I was I was going to the castle and I was going to win this bloody game. And then, yeah, I got turned into a terror and I was like, God damn it. So and I think sucks. we came and stole all your stuff. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah somewhere. Yeah, like, <laughs> While well, you were a toad. It takes too long. You spent four years playing Dungeons and Dragons. Which is awesome. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so. I mean, like, like Crystal, I like Scrabble. Um, no one's mentioned Trivial Pursuit yet. I spent many, many hours playing uh, Trivial Pursuit. It was the Moops! Um, <laughs> I played, uh, I do, one, my favourite Trivial Pursuit memory is uh, playing with Aaron. Aaron's going to get a lot of shout-outs in this episode. Um, playing with Aaron versus his mum, who is practically a genius on her own I was going to say, anyway. you would have been demolished. Yeah. Yeah, but even awesome. worse, even worse, it was the Baby Boomers edition. Oh, dear. Um, and <laughs> yes. Talk about an advantage. I, I got maybe one question right out of 100. I, I'm not. I'm not embarrassed to say, and she absolutely demolished us. Um, it was great fun. Is this you now why you prefer to play Star Wars Trivial Pursuit? Yeah, <laughs> which I've never lost. <laughs> it's a long-standing challenge. That if you can beat me in Star Wars Trivial Pursuit, then you're you're a legend. Cause, uh, I'll give you a run for your money on Star Trek Trivial Pursuit. Maybe Star yeah. Trek, Star Wars. I'll take on all comers. Um, yeah. So so. Uh, 
yeah, Scrabble fan. Um, and once again, Aaron, uh, Aaron actually uh, developed a game um, based on the Alien movies, uh, which was awesome fun. Uh, and uh, talking about role-playing, um, Aaron also ran a Call of Cthulhu game, which was my second favourite role-playing game I've ever played. It was just absolutely magnificent. He, that- he even got an outside source, so a friend of mine at, uh, at the time, he actually got him to call in during the game <laughs> to be one of the NCPs, which was just oh, goddamn magnificent. NPCs. NCP is this group. Oh, I'm so used to saying NCP <laughs> now. I can't say NPC. Um, so, yes, yeah, so that was brilliant stuff. Uh, so, but my first, my, my favourite uh, gaming experience um, is without doubt Richo's um, superhero-based games. Ah, uh, thank you. Um, thank you. The epic that was. My... Yeah, so, I mean, we, yeah. uh, Richo and I actually uh, have developed our own role-playing game called Millennium. Um, yeah. It's been in development since we were wee, wee tackers. Um, we, start, we started... And it's still I, not finished. We started working on this game in 1992. Well, there you go. <laughs> Just to give you an idea. <laughs> it's still not but, published. Yeah. Um, and, it's, it's, and it's awesome if I do say so myself. Yeah, we, look, it's, it's pretty damn good. Because we're, we're pretty good. It, it basically developed because we couldn't find a superhero game that achieved exactly what we wanted to achieve, which was yeah. the experience of inflicting massive amounts of damage on people, having huge fights, all the, all the cool superhero stuff, yeah. and then being fine the next day so you could do it all there was There were superhero games like Villains and Vigilantes, and like um, you said... Um, yeah, Heroes, Un- Heroes Unlimited was sort of probably stuff. the closest, I think, that yeah. came to a game that I was after. But they weren't so. quite up to scratch. Yeah. Um, so I actually, and, uh, I actually uh, met Richo. Uh, the first time I ever met Richo was at, at school, and he had a picture of Spiral. Uh, in front of him, and, and I walked from, past from the X Men. Yeah, and I um yeah, Spiral from the X. I should have made that clear. I'm sorry, yeah. for Mojo's uh, chief assassin. Um, and I sort of walked past, and I was like, "Hey, that's Spiral," and he was like, "Yeah, that, well, what of it? Piss yeah. off." My, my, and, my, uh... <laughs> my thought at the time was, "Uh oh, this guy's gonna like he's gonna start you know giving me crap and everything. He's gonna start hassling me, and I, I just I just didn't want to deal with that at all." Because yeah. he looked like such a thug. Then. I know. You got to, yeah, but you got to remember <laughs> the school mullet. that we went to. The school that we went to had a lot of um, yeah, bogans and yeah. druggies and things like that. In so it. it wasn't it wasn't the friendliest of encounters, but um, but uh, I obviously made an impression because then we became yeah. fast friends, and uh, he invited me to play his role playing game, and we're. Uh, there's an awesome twist that I'll, I'll fondly remember for the rest of my days. Is he my character, who is named Breathtaker, used the picture of Spiral. There's very same mm-hmm. picture of Spiral, and uh, it was awesome. Um, but that's nothing compared to uh, his later games, where I played a character called Hunter, who was a cyborg <laughs> assassin. Um, who then eventually became a zombie cyborg assassin. That's right, zombie uh, hunter. Zo- zombie <laughs> hunter. Right. He even had his own theme music. <laughs> um, which I was, uh, I played with uh, Luke and uh, a bunch of other people as well. Um, and I also played a character called Superpower, um, which was an Ed McGuinness picture of Superman, um, but he was like, you know, he's, he was a mind of a child. And stuff like that. But it's just just magnificent, epic in scope. Um, he played all the, uh, the NPCs, including Sam Hill, <laughs> he was one of our favorites. And Major Power. <laughs> and Major Power. And, <laughs> and um, it's, it's magnificent stuff. I, I, well, thank you. I still keep the... And it's, one, one, of the one of the cool things about it is was he used to put out a newspaper at the end of each session, which was basically describing what happened in that session, but in sort of like fictional story time. Um, and they were always my favorites. And uh, the uh, quotable quotes... Ah uh, yes, yes. Which, and I was heroic, in everyone. Heroic, heroic dialogue heroic was because um, because people in games when people are in character they just they just come up with these great lines. Yeah. And we used to write them all down and actually like give out awards and stuff for the best lines cool. and things. So there was some there was some, there was yeah, some we, game classics. We went all out in that game. Yeah. That actually ran for uh, like a hundred and. Yeah. 50 sessions or something all told. And also, including, including the sessions where it was just Luke and myself. Yeah, that was actually my introduction to role-playing through um, meeting uh, Dave and Richo. I've been players for both games that they've run, and they both run very good games. Um, but the one that I actually wanted to talk about, um, which hasn't come up yet, and that's Magic the Gathering. Magic the Gathering is the most successful collectible card game of all time. I admit I haven't actually played it for about 15 years. But when at the t- uh, in the mid '90s, it was um, an explosion. Explosion, yep. you know, the older kids were playing it, and I thought it looked cool, so I wanted to play it as well. Which got you know various um, friends playing it um, as well, and it's a it, it's a it's a fantasy strategy game where you have two um, two more players, each representing a certain co- each representing a certain color: red, white, blue, black, or green, or a mixture of colors. But you had various um, cards and characters that you could summon into the game to help you do that. So it sounds a bit boring here, but actually playing the game itself was actually it was highly addictive. 
Um, and I've got quite a number of people playing it at my school to the point where the library banned us. <laughs> from, um, I'm not shocked. From playing it. Because, you know, library's meant to be a quiet place. And we could get quite, quite loud by saying, I summon my Hurlund Minotaur and put it on the thing. Or I strike you with my fireball and it does 20 points of damage. Um, so that was really my big gaming experience. I mean, I it seems board. to be the, the theme to all these games that the, the more addictive, the the better. Yeah. <laughs> it, I mean, it, it definitely helped me that I actually worked in a card shop at, the, at when mm. Magic was around. So I actually, um, I got yeah. most I, my, all of my cards, and I've got some mm. pretty kick butt cards. Um, you know, practically for nothing. Mm. And it also it also helped that they actually sponsored me. I, I used to, basically as part of my work was to was to challenge the the people that come in, like a drug dealer, really. I would challenge, I would you know, show them how to play the game and then they'd buy the cards and off they go and then, you know, once, once again, another successful convert. Um, and uh, I was so good at it that they actually got me to uh, play in tournaments. Um, so, and I did I did fairly well. Nowhere near as good as some people do. Some people actually make a living of it. Um, but I, I do I do, do fairly well. And like I said, I haven't played for eight. I haven't played since Mirrodin. So. Yeah, I stopped around about the time of Mirrodin. Ice yeah. Age um, was still a big thing. Yeah. When I was when I was wrapping up my, it's completely different. Have you ever seen it? It's completely different. I've watched really gone. My goodness, yeah. I, if so I start playing now, I'd have to redo a whole bunch. The whole the whole the the attraction of Magic was not just the playability, but also the collectible nature as well. So there you have it. Tabletop games they're uh, a, a huge part of our lives. I mean, I've I've even just like thousands of people around the world. I've even created my own sort of tabletop game, and yeah, I'm sure everybody else here is at least thought about it. I'd um, like to say I was the first winner of that game. Oh, sorry, I can't <laughs> no, believe sorry. it. It would, it would be to testing my, my own created game and Crystal kicked my ass. <laughs> uh, so it's it's pretty weird. But it's, I mean, it's even, it's big business. There's actually, I mean, there's websites you can go to that sell pieces, like so you can make your own board game and stuff like that. It's, it's, it's a big thing. But uh, yeah, lots of fun, lots of fond memories. Ah, oh, Hunter. Zombie Hunter. <laughs> Great do, stuff. Do, do, do. Coming up next, coming soon. Just before uh, we get to the coming soon, uh, unfortunately there was a slight hiccup with the audio, the original audio that we recorded this morning, and uh, it is uh, unusable unfortunately. So we don't actually have uh, the original recordings of, of the coming soon with the boys um, or the, the, the original goodbyes or Joel saying you know, thank you for being here and all that sort of stuff. So uh, it's me and Crystal doing an emergency uh, ad lib recording. Uh, to finish up the show. Saved at the last second. Yeah, but uh, but rest assured, Joel was very happy to be here. <laughs> he, would, he would say the same thing if he was already here. Mm, shut up, Joel. <laughs> we don't have him tied up. We've, <laughs> we've got to stop saying stuff like that. People are going to think we're weird. So without further ado, coming soon, take two. In Australian cinemas May 30, we get The Great Gatsby, A Haunted House, and Sinister. Uh, Great Gatsby is the latest uh, effort from Baz Luhrmann. And uh, it looks pretty impressive. I'm a, I'm a Baz fan. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I wasn't going to rush out to the cinema to see it. A Haunted House is a Wayans film, so automatically avoid. That's a, that's a no. Yeah, it's a, a, a comedy horror film. Forget about it. Um, and Sinister, which is a horror film that's uh, gotten some pretty good reviews uh, overseas. It's been out for a while. We only just get it. And then the following week, we get June on June 6th, we get Fast and Furious 6. Uh, it's... it's an acquired taste of the Fast and Furious films. Yeah, you missed it on the whole conversation that we had about it. <laughs> yeah, it was a, about a five-minute conversation. But uh, in a nutshell, I, uh, I enjoyed five, and uh, I'll, I'll see six. Why not? So that's coming soon. Uh, now, as I said at the start, uh, we have a giveaway slash competition. Um, so uh, thanks to the awesome Mitch and Troy from All Star Comics, uh, we had the, fi- the first five Dark Tower hardcovers uh, to give away. I mean, five hardcover trades for free. Awesome. Uh, Mission Troy, All-Star Comics, Legends. Uh, all you have to do is name that game that Joel can't remember the name of. Do some research. Figure it out. It, it's and, a toughie, uh, but uh, the prize is worth it. I know. The prize is magnificent. So the first person that sends me in the correct entry. So basically what I'm going to do is whoever send, whenever someone sends me in an entry, I'm going to research that, get some pictures, show Joel and say, is this it? And then whoever, with the first one he says, yep, then that's it. You're the winner. Entries must be in by midnight June 8th, which is uh, Oz time. Eastern Standard. Eastern Standard, Oz time. Uh, And the winner will be announced on episode 52, which comes out June 9th. Stay tuned. (laughs) 
So that, that's the perfect segue to how you can send your entries in. You can contact us by email at feedback at nerdculturepodcast.com or post on our Facebook wall at www.facebook.com forward slash nerdculturepodcast or you can tweet us at nerdculturecast or you can leave a comment on any post on our website at www.nerdculturepodcast.com And don't forget you can rate and review us on iTunes. But more importantly, very exciting news that we are now an Amazon affiliate. So on the website that uh, Crystal just lovingly uh, spoke to, uh, we have an Amazon widget. So if you uh, search for a product through that widget, it'll take you to the Amazon site, uh, but it'll still register the fact that you came from us, and then we get proceeds based on what how, you know how much you spend on you know whatever you buy. So um, it's awesome. It doesn't cost you any extra. It's exactly the same as it is for you, but you know we benefit in some way. So basically, it's it's. If you uh, would like to support us in some way, um, we'd very much appreciate it. Um, so if you buy anything through Amazon, then uh, it helps us out. Uh, so what we'll do is any time we do a podcast that uh, reviews a movie or a book or something like that that's available through Amazon, we'll link to that um, to that product on Amazon to, so you can buy it if you so desire. Uh, pretty exciting stuff. So please check it out. Uh, if you're going to go to Amazon, uh, do it through our website. It's, like I said, no extra cost to you. Uh, so that's it from us, the uh, the take two edition of uh, the, the end of the NCP, episode 51. Uh, uh, the boys did say goodbye, and then Joel said goodbye, and thank you for having me. And don't forget to, uh, if you want more Joel, go to blackpanel.com.au. So that's it from me, David, and uh, the missing uh, Richo, Luke, and Joel. But you still have Crystal. Yay! Live and... long and prosper. <laughs> Bye! Bye!